back. This is Bitch Breathe, and I am your host, Ricardia Bramley. So yay, today we're going to talk about a subject that I have been been wanting to talk about for a very long time, but mm, didn't really dare yet because I thought I want to have a little bit more experience and hindsight before I talk about this one. So today I'm going to talk about, can we change our dating patterns? So first and foremost, when we talk about changing patterns, then of course, the one thing we want to talk about is you know, why do we need to do that? Why do we now arrive at a point where we feel like, okay, something's really off here. I keep reaching the same point in a relationship or in a friendship that just looks awfully familiar and very much like something I've already done once, twice, five times, whatever. But at some point in our lives, and especially when it comes to dating and engaging in romantic relationships, we realize you know, this looks awfully repetitive and it's starting to do some damage. I'm suffering, I'm not evolving, and I'm not meeting the right person. And then coupled with this feeling that something is off could be that you're very exhausted because maybe you have done the inner work. You're you're tired of analyzing why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? And you're doing all this soul searching and you feel like you're putting in all the legwork and spiritual work, but it doesn't seem to be changing. And so at some point you're like, okay, what is wrong with me? Or why are there only assholes out there? Or people who don't have time or don't want to have a commitment or something. So whatever the questions are that you or we are asking ourselves, it doesn't matter because at some point the experience has created a scenario where we feel we can't move forward. So the first condition, there is one condition You'll know, you'll guess probably that I do believe you can change your dating pattern. I know I did. And that's why, of course, I'm doing an episode about it. But the one condition under which and only under which we are able to truly make this change that we so much long for and that we desire is, of course, do you believe you can affect change within you? That's the most important question. When, not if, When you've answered that question with yes, then we can move on to all the other ideas and experiences that I want to share with you today. So really asking ourselves, do we believe in change within ourselves? No matter how old or young we are, no matter the childhood we've experienced, and no matter how many mistakes, for lack of a better word, we've already made in our lives. That is the most important condition. So What do we do when we're dating someone new or there's a new person on the horizon? This could also pertain to friendships, by the way. I just decided to talk about relationships in a romantic context. But what do we do when we run into that same scenario? There's a couple of questions we can ask ourselves. For example, what is it you sought in that person back then or in this new person now? What was some of the traits or the energy that you felt this person generated? Were they very intelligent, for example? Were they very curious people? Did they make you learn and discover new things about yourself, about the world? Were they really, really funny? P.S. That's my personal carpet of oil (laughs) on the ocean. Um, Were they a very safe choice? And then some of the tougher questions, because we don't like the answers, Did they have money? Did they provide a certain lifestyle that you got used to or that you didn't have as a child and are really craving now? Was there a certain prestige? Was there a certain power? 
And let's not forget, speaking of power, what was the sexual engagement like? And so when you look at all these possible traits and energies, what are the things that you seem to keep craving and that you seem to be signaling that that's what you want, right? Because if you've been in the spiritual scene for a while, or if you've studied certain spiritual traditions, for me, I've studied quite a few. I think there's there's hardly a tradition, uh, at least of those that come across you in the West, that I haven't at least looked into. But one of the ones that you've probably heard me quote from before was the Kabbalah. And in Kabbalah, I had some great teachers. And one of the things they always asked in the very first class, I think it was, why is this in my movie? And the same question goes for our topic today. Why is this person in my movie? And chances are, as we know, what's inside is out. Something inside us is longing for what they seem to be able to provide. So to make this more specific, for me, a lot of times, some of my, ah, now we're getting to my great weaknesses. Uh, One of my weaknesses, like I just touched upon, is if a guy has a really great sense of humor, if there's a playful banter going on, there's a quid pro quo, a witty repartee, whatever you want to call it, that used to be my personal Waterloo because it didn't happen to me often that somebody would engage with me in this way and be quick on the uptake and push back even in some ways. So If that, let's say, were the trait, the attraction that we're looking for, where in any of these other traits too, can we find it elsewhere? So does it have to be the romantic partner who provides this? Can it not be that great girlfriend? I have some great girlfriends whom I can laugh my ass off with too. I've also got some great male friends who absolutely share my sense of humor who also give me safety or uh, the intelligence, if that's a thing. But looking for these traits in our friends, and then more importantly, if we can do this, I know I couldn't do it for a long time, and still I can for some traits, to look for those in ourselves so that we don't need this romantic relationship to keep us safe, to provide a certain lifestyle that we would like, to make us laugh right? So just looking for those things. And of course, when it comes to sex, since I did mention it, I do realize that having sex with another person can't be replicated when you're by yourself. But since this is May and Masturbation Awareness Month, let me just say that part. And there's plenty of resources out there. So if we talk about these traits that our friends then might have, or we ourselves can generate or manifest in some sort of a way, what are they more specifically who can evoke them in you? So we talked about this in a little bit in the second statement I just made. Now I'm talking about spending time with those people a lot. Why am I saying that? And why is that different from what I said before? Because not only if these needs are met, but if we see that people we really love to spend time with have this and have an abundance of these traits, then chances are you can also find a romantic partner who has this. Let me make this more specific. So I have one really good friend. I have three really good male friends whom I really love very, very much, hetero males, but we never sort of made it to the romantic level. One of us was not in that same place, and then at some point it just wasn't an issue anymore. Or maybe I had an affair with them, and that's long over. And so we kind of did that, and we're done with it. In any case, I started to memorize what it was about them that made me feel so good being around them. So even though I wasn't related, uh, relating to them in a romantic way, 
I picked up on traits that I really did not want to miss anymore in my life. So one of my friends whom I was about to mention just now, he was a great listener. He's a coach. He listens really well. He asks good questions and he would just be really, really loving. He had like an unconditional love about him. And I don't mean that people put themselves out there as doormats. That is obviously not what unconditional love is. But we would always take really good care of each other. We lived with each other for a while too. And I noticed, you know what? I want this in my future personal partnership. I want somebody to make me feel like we can take care of each other. And even if there are differences, that we can speak to each other in a respectful manner. So that even if things get difficult, we don't start name calling. We would have never name called my friend and I wouldn't have even been on the menu. I don't think it 10 years from now, but who knows? But what I'm trying to say is to look at these qualities that these friends have and then decide that this is something you're going to replicate and notice in a future romantic partner. And I'll tell you in this particular case, I'll probably get back and talk about my current boyfriend <laughs> a few times now. But in this particular case, just to make it more specific or concrete, uh, my best friend was someone who was very sort of open-minded, just really open-minded and really optimistic. Like no matter what time of the day, he was always in a stable mood and a good mood and gave me the impression that he was happy to see me. And in the boyfriend I'm dating now, and of course, nobody knows if this will last either, right? But <laughs> I'm carefully optimistic. But in him, I see that too. He's an incredibly optimistic guy and usually um, positive and open-minded. And I know that if I hadn't had this best friend where I, I thought, this is exactly what I want, I wouldn't have noticed it in this future boyfriend that then showed up on the scene a couple years later, right? So notice in your friends what you love and then ask yourself, why should this just be possible in a platonic relationship? Why shouldn't this also be possible in a romantic one? And like I said, in my particular example, that's exactly what happened because now I decided that was something that I was going to be into, that I was going to be looking for. The next thought or experience that I want to share is if you see someone in a crowd, in a bar, I realize we're not in a lot of bars these days, but if you meet someone new and they're in a group of other people or whatever, notice whom you notice first. And then instead of giving that person all the attention, look at the people next to him or her. What are they like? What do they look like? How are they engaged in the conversation or that group of people? In my particular case, I would often notice the peacock in the round, right? The one guy who's a little more verbose, who seems to generate an awful lot of um, sexual charisma, if you will, because he seems to ooze power. And I'll get to that particular subject in a minute. But that is whom I usually would look for. And my best friend whom I just mentioned, whom I had lived with, said, Ricardia, why don't you look at the one sitting next to those guys? So see, this was actually not my idea, what I'm bringing to you, but my best friends. Check them out. And that was such a brilliant move for me because it literally means you're focusing your camera lens, if you will, your eyes, just a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right of the person that immediately caught your attention. And just by shifting your gaze, your physical gaze now, you will have shifted your perspective 
And that really, really helped me. So when I was in a group of people, this is before Corona, and you could actually still run into groups of people, I would look at who's next to the person who seemed to be the life of the party, the entertainer, the player, if that's what we want to call them. And it just became a different game entirely because now I'm looking at the other guy and I'm not coming just from that physical attraction bit. I'm not a victim of what I usually am physically attracted to. And that brings me actually to my very next point. Try not to go for the physical attraction. Now, I know this one's hard, right? Maybe you've been single for a long time, so you're like, okay, all systems go and nobody's around, right? But trying to sort of when you start dating, like I, I met my boyfriend, sorry, Bo, <laughs> this is going to sound really bad, but you've already had to forgive me for the last 30 episodes. So just keep doing that. So I actually didn't think of him as like my type at all. Um, he looked totally nice. There was nothing wrong with him, but he's still nothing wrong with him. But he totally wasn't my type at all. I liked like the um, a certain type of man and he was the exact opposite in colors in energy and everything and when he started to sort of show interest in me that was quite a while before I noticed him and that's what I want to say is to not go for the physical attraction first if you get the chance to then get into a conversation with these people what do they say what happens for example after a longer conversational pause do they talk a lot about themselves or how do they treat people around them, especially those whom they don't need anything from and all these things. And I'll tell you with the bow, I went to this date with him, which is really funny because I have a condition where my skin can really, really like freak out. And on that day, it was particularly bad. I just felt I had like the uglies all over. It was horrible. It's not something you can ignore. When it breaks out with me, you can see it. It's the first thing you will see around my face. And I thought about canceling this day because I was like, oh, my God, there's no way I'm going to face this guy. So and I had all my old clothes on the oldest t-shirt, a really baggy blazer. And I was like, fuck it, I'm going to go. I don't owe this guy perfection. And if I don't start practicing that now, then I'll never do it. So I just went to that day feeling incredibly self-conscious about how I looked, but just staying in that discomfort because I thought, gee, what's there to lose, you know? And the funny thing is, so I'm sitting there, I'm totally self-conscious about my looks technically, but he does not contribute to that. So after a while, I realize I'm not feeling self-conscious at all. And then I start to really listen to the stuff he says. And he said something that sounded very profound to me. And then I literally took a second look at the guy. And I was like, wait a second. So you haven't looked at my face or this part of my face. It happens around my lips, by the way, once in our conversation. Wow, you say good things. And that is when I began to feel attracted because he said good things and he gave me feedback about the things I said. And when there was a conversational pause, I didn't mind. I didn't try to fill it. And though he often tried to, there was nothing self-conscious about how he did it. So again, this is just an example of looking at very clearly what is being said, how are they engaging with you, and the people around you on this date, this first or second date. Another thing I want to talk about is talking to your girlfriends about what they think, why you always date the same person. And then be very prepared to get some tough feedback. Because I started doing that, I would ask my friends, well, what is it about me? Like, 
just tell me, like, is there something going on? And they would say some really good things, some of them rather hard hitting that I didn't really feel comfortable hearing, but that were very necessary. I have one friend, she's my most direct friend. I've mentioned her before. Like, if I need merciless feedback, but honest, not mean, I mean honest, then I ask her. And she said to me, because I said to her after this first date that I just described to you, oh, I don't know, there were no sparks flying. And I mean, I don't really see myself like being like on fire with this guy. And it stayed very neutral, even though it was a nice date. And she said, what the hell is wrong with you? What is with all this Hollywood thing? And there have to be sparks and it has to be this huge experience. Like he sounds like a perfectly healthy guy. Why aren't you even considering this after all the I think stupidity was the word she used that you've gone through and that you made yourself go through. What are you doing? Those guys you give a chance who've been absolute nothing but douchebags and this guy who's like really sounding like he's healthy in the head and he's genuinely interested. You don't give him the time of day? What the fuck? If this doesn't go right, if you want to do this, keep going. But I'm not going to stand here and say, oh, yes, sparks need to be flying. So that's what she said to me. I was like, all right, thanks. That was uh, <laughs> brutal. But she was right. She sat my ass down and read me my rights, right? Like she was not even kidding. And if you have a friend like that, I'm begging you, seek her out, seek him out and tell them, please be honest with me. If this is a good relationship, you know it's going to survive, but you do need that feedback. And now the reversal. If you have friends or co-workers or even parents who have dating patterns that look very much like yours, of which you have decided it's a dysfunctional one, for the love of God, do not listen to them because you know misery loves company. And I remember when I was in bad relationships and I had friends who were in very similar relationship dynamics, we would talk for hours about how unhappy, how bad this guy is, and you'd come up with nothing. You'd have talked for hours, you probably vented, but nothing evolved. There was no progress here. Misery loves company. Just keeping that in mind, you're not going to evolve if you have a lot of friends who replicate your dating pattern. And another tricky little thing that I noticed much, much later, and I had to sort of travel back in my own personal history to even uncover this one. And that is that we seriously have to ask ourselves, how do we define power? What does power look like for us? And then to both check our personal history, check our contextual history, the society, the culture we're in, and check our privilege. And then there's a follow-up question. I'll get back to that in a moment. But I want to stay on privilege for a moment because... The way I grew up is very privileged. I grew up in uh, Germany, in England, and in the States. So always in the West, always in very wealthy nations. And even though I was very, very poor as a child, came from a very poor family, we always had enough to eat. And I was able to get a good education, la-da-da-da-da. But that's still privilege. And it's also quite a sexist society that I grew up with. And that's where I want to get to the power idea. I'm privileged, so I didn't really feel like I had to fight for any rights um, a lot of times because I didn't even know I didn't have them half the time. And so for me, power was definitely defined as male 
male people, male identified even, I don't know, had power. That's who made the decisions. That's whose books we read. That's whose mathematical formulas we had to study. And that's who was our soccer coach and our tutor and whatever. It was mostly males, not the teachers so much. I mean, the ones who actually had power, like the headmaster of the school was probably a man. And so to understand that you can go dormant when you live in a privileged context, like if you're already poor and God forbid you live in a country where there's a whole lot of things going much, much worse for women than they do from for me, for example, here in Germany, then it's not so difficult to understand that you're lacking privilege. But if you're in a privileged situation, you don't often notice that you've defined power as male in the West here now, for example, in Germany. And so you think, oh, it's, it's kind of okay. To relax like that is privilege, but also to not recognize the power structure because you're kind of complacent and comfortable. So coming out of that is what I want to invite us to do. And the second part, that part of the question I wanted to come back to is, has power ever been yours? Have you ever defined yourself, not your means, not your class, not your family, not your friends? Have you ever defined yourself as truly powerful? Have you ever seen power and recognized it as your own? I find this question key because this one took me for fucking ever. I didn't feel very powerful for the most time. I thought I was because for a while I made very good money. Or I had raised my son mostly by myself. That felt powerful a little bit. But most of the time it was a fleeting entity if I noticed it at all. But what if you felt truly powerful independent from the external factors and conditions you live in. Because if you have that much natural power, not only will you not have to use it because people will notice it and you don't need to usurp it to signal authority, but you're also not going to have to lean on anybody for it. And I'll give you an example. When I first met my second husband, my second husband was an extremely Uh, how do I say? Well, he was a very charismatic guy and a total macho. Maybe I, maybe I can get away with saying that one. And I remember when we were going out and we weren't even dating yet. This was just a group of friends going out and he happened to be there. I remember how he talked to the lady who was managing the guest list of the club. And we weren't on that list because we never registered for the list. So he, I guess, wanted to show just how cool he was. And he says, what do you mean we're not on that list? And she says, well, I can't find your name here. By now, she's already intimidated just by this tall man exerting his power, right? And she's a young, young girl, really. And he says, okay, well, whose problem is that? It's certainly not mine, is it? And you know, at that moment, I should have been like, wow, that is a really dirty number you're pulling off here. Like, that's not cool. That girl did nothing. You know, what was my reaction? Wow, I can't believe how bold he is. I can't believe he's actually going to lie our way into this party. And that shames me to say, I was impressed. I was impressed by this appearance. I was impressed by how he just commanded that whole situation. And I should have been repelled. Why was I not repelled? Because I had never felt that kind of powerful charge that I felt when I was in situations like with him or with other men before. That's a tough one to admit. I've evolved from it since then, hopefully sustainably. But to just understand that as long as we've never defined power as our own, as something that could come in the shape of us, 
with our bodies, with our gender, with who we are on this particular day. Until that moment arrives, we are going to seek it out and we are going to hunt those people down who seem to have it. And we're not going to be repelled by people who usurp their power. Think about that for a moment and the ripple effect it has, the replication that is in place of this happening over and over again because we said yes to it. Sort of riding that point home just a little bit more because I love this scene is Julia Roberts in The Runaway Bride. Maybe you're too young to know this movie anymore. I think it was in the 90s. And Julia Roberts keeps ordering her eggs the style that her current partner orders them. So if they're sunny side up, she also orders sunny side up. If they're over easy, she does that. Scrambled, whatever, poached. Whatever he ordered, she just went with that and seconded that order. And I remember that used to happen to me too a lot. Not because the guy demanded it, not because we were caved um, by someone who wanted to control us, not necessarily anyway. No, but because we sort of adjust as women. We're incredible adjusters, right? This is our, one of our greatest strengths is that we can adapt to a situation and hopefully create peace a lot of times where others wouldn't. But it also means we ride the wave of another person's power or decision-making abilities or whatever it is. So if you're the kind of person who still orders her eggs or makes up her mind in a way that very closely resembles to the current relationship she's in, then maybe date yourself just for a moment longer. You know, just until you know how you like your eggs. And lastly, I have a book recommendation for you. And it's not a book about dating. It's not even a book about being single, but what it is about. It's a book about being truly in your power as a woman. Now, you've probably already read it. It's one of my top five books, like it's my Bible. And it's called Women Who Run With the Wolves. If you've already read it, but you're in a sort of a situation where you feel like you're repeating patterns, come back to it, not because it explains how to break open patterns, but because it explains how we women have to return to that wild woman inside us, that wild woman who knows stuff. Because when you tap into this power, this degree of authenticity and true, true femininity, let's not even get started with female gods and or goddesses rather. When we tap into that, ain't nobody able to impress us easily with how they treat people badly. Ain't nobody going to be able to offer you a lifestyle, a lie, a source of power that you can't get by yourself in a much more benign and healthy way. All right. Hey, I made it one episode. I'm so happy. I hope this was helpful to you. This is one of my favorite subjects to talk about. I could totally see myself doing that again. Love to hear from you if you've been able to sort of change those patterns around and ask yourself some of those tough questions. And I hope to hear from you soon. Until then, do take care. Lots of love.